Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. And what is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Monday, September 26, 2022, in case you didn't know the year, edition of GC Live. I'm Chris Clark. Yes, I look lonely, but I will be joined shortly by my colleague, my partner in crime, my buddy, Wes Mitchell. He is taking care of a little work-related business right here. It just happened to butt into the start of GC Live, but we wanted to start on time, even though I didn't fully start on time. We are 2.04, so 2.03, 2.04 start time, so not too bad. Welcome in, everyone. Uh, hope everyone's doing well. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a great weekend. What's up, Craig? And T. Thompson, two of our regulars here on GC Live in the comment section on YouTube. Again, we hope that you are checking us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Gamecock Central. That is the very best way to make sure that you are uh, interacting with us. Drop your comments there. Uh, if you got comments, questions, you may have a chance to be featured here on GC Live. As always, we are presented by our buddy Clint Hammond, longtime supporter, not only of GC Live, but of GamecockCentral.com, and a loyal and passionate Gamecock fan. There you see Clint's smiling face. If you are on the live stream, you can see him. Branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network. His email is chammond at mortgagenetwork.com. His phone number is 803-576-4450. Uh, his NMLS number is 71597. Of course, uh, the housing market has changed in the past, I guess, few months. Uh, but if you've got any questions about how to navigate the housing market, mortgage, refinance, any of that stuff, make sure you hit up Clint Hammond again. He is a huge Gamecock fan and a supporter of the show. We know that folks that listen to us and read us on GamecockCentral.com, they want to support not only Gamecock fans, but people who support GamecockCentral.com and the show. So, with that said, uh, what's up, Daniel? Daniel Watts, another loyal GC Live listener here in the chat. Uh, what did you guys think? South Carolina defeats Charlotte 56-20. to 20. Um, In some ways, and Wes and I, of course, are going to be together here soon and, and kind of give our overarching thoughts on the game, but just in general. I thought there were some things that played out exactly how I thought they were, or would, sorry. Um, and there were some things that were a little bit different, and, and we'll unpack that and dive into that a little bit over the next few minutes. Uh, just to let everyone know as a housekeeping item, maybe a little bit shorter today, 2.45 or so. Um, probably not the full hour today, just to let you know, but we hope you stick with us till the end. A lot to talk about what's going on, everyone. Justin Simmons weighing in with the first game-related uh, game thought here on uh, the YouTube channel on GamecockCentral.com. Justin says, as someone who has not been overly impressed by Spencer thus far, I thought he played an excellent game Saturday. I would love for someone to explain why Reynolds' QBR was much higher. 
Uh, when Wes gets on, Justin, I will try to look up the QBR and effort that that that's all. That's kind of a weird stat, and uh, different. I think different services calculate it different ways. So I'm not sure which one in particular you're referring to there. Uh, but I think you're right. Spencer Rattler played, I think, his cleanest game, uh, which you could probably equate with his best game. He didn't have the passing yardage that he did, for instance, to get Ar- against Arkansas. Uh, didn't have to throw the football a lot. Didn't light it up in terms of scores. South Carolina scored on the ground. They largely did the bulk of their work on the ground. But I thought Spencer Rattler did what he needed to do in that football game for that particular game, and that is he needed to administer the offense. He needed to take care of the ball. He needed to make some throws. And, and there is a key difference. So – we have talked about going into this season, and this is more of a big-picture thought that we'll bring back to Saturday's game. Um, Spencer Rattler is under more pressure at South Carolina than he was, say, at Oklahoma uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, at Oklahoma, he was in a very established offense with a lot of offensive playmakers around, and it was a different type of system. You arrive at South Carolina, you're Spencer Rattler, you've had your name on Heisman list previously, uh, you are a former number one five-star, number one quarterback in the country. You're being largely counted on to make this offense take a huge step from what it was last season. So there's already built-in pressure there. And the offense and the playmakers uh, were not as, as established coming into this uh, season for South Carolina. So I know Wes has made the point that this offense in big games and in a lot of games is it's going to – can't depend on Spencer is kind of going to go as far as he can take it. And that's something we pointed out too, that for better or worse, fair or not, there is going to be more pressure on him to make plays. And I do think in some games, Georgia, Arkansas is a notable example, even in Georgia state where Spencer admitted that he had pressed some, one of his interceptions he threw against Georgia state. He said, Hey, I want that one back. I was pressing a little bit there. Um, I think that some of the struggles of the offense not having a run game to complement your passing game, getting down early, not having early success in the first quarter or the first half. Those things have Spencer Rattler at times, maybe trying to do a little bit too much. And frankly, out of necessity, sometimes you think about the Arkansas game where you're, you're down big late in the game. You have to try to press and have to try to make some of those plays up. So it makes sense that in the Charlotte game, you know, you've got a team, a defense in Charlotte that is really outmanned, outmatched from a depth, talent, speed, skills standpoint, whatever you want to call it, any way you want to shake it. Charlotte's really struggled this year defensively. So going in, it was my thought, and I wasn't sure, but it was my thought that South Carolina, Marcus Satterfield, be able to keep this game plan very simple. Let your offensive line block for your running backs up front, keep it pretty simple for Spencer Rattler because there's no need. And indeed, that's how it played out. You saw Marshawn Lloyd have a huge game with 169 yards. Um, you saw Spencer Rattler did, wasn't asked to do a ton, didn't throw the ball downfield a lot, ran really counter and inside zone in the run game, kept it pretty simple, some play action, some shorter stuff, some perimeter throws in the passing game. Do that, call it a day, and go home. And really, that's all South Carolina needed in this one. Wes, what's up? I'm thrown off. I'm on the left. I don't think I like it. All right, hold on. Let's let's let's, let's fix this real quick. Everybody, bear with us. 
Yeah, we can't. We we can't do the show. There in, we go. In that order, people yeah. start yelling at us when we do that, man. It's not. Well, I don't even like. But now I'm I'm fully on board. Like when you come on and you're on the right, I'm like, nope, can't, no can do. Yeah. These but are we, officially our sides. <laughs> we're good now. So what we were talking about, I mean, opening thoughts on the Charlotte game. I opened it up, Wes, after we told the people about our uh, our good buddy Clint Hammond, our lead sponsor here, longtime sponsor on GC Live. Uh, we just kind of opened the the door for conversation on the Charlotte game, but was just making the point that offensively, Spencer Rattler wasn't asked to do a lot, didn't have to do a lot. And I think it was an ideal game offensively for South Carolina because they were able to go out, find some early success, run the football, keep it extremely simple in the pass game, really keep it extremely simple in the run game. Shane Beamer, uh, and I hadn't really noticed that live. I, I noticed it on rewatch. Really, they ran counter to with a lot of success, and they ran inside zone. Really just kept this game plan simple, which made sense against a reeling Charlotte defense. And fortunately for South Carolina, they were able to find a lot of success and, and just get it done and, and call it a day and move on to the next one. Yeah, you know, Chris, I'm uh, I'm a little bit, as I almost always am, I'm a little bit torn because it's kind of like you want to give an accurate take on the game. And, you know, this is one of those games for me where I feel like South Carolina kind of did, in some ways, what they were supposed to do. They kind of did. Um, I don't I don't want to say what you expected them to do, though, because there was a lot of concern going into the game. Like, could South Carolina execute at a high enough level to sort of continue to beat up on Charlotte like other teams have done? And, you know, the answer was obviously yes. And probably, I would say, even to an extent more than other teams have like this team this Charlotte team's given up a bunch of points but the efficient way in which South Carolina went about it you know the first team offense or I don't even want to say your first team what you would call like your top group you obviously have like a rotation that is in there your top rotation you know they scored every time they had the football and so I I do think is as difficult or as maybe hard as people, including us, sometimes have graded the offense, you know, throughout these 17 games, we need to acknowledge to the extent that the offense executed, you know, just because um, it wasn't necessarily expected. Like, we can say, we can say, oh, they did what they were supposed to do, but sometimes people almost downplay their performance when they do that. And it's like, I mean, I had them scoring 40. I think you had them scoring 38. Like. Yep. They they outdid that. And, you know, yeah, they got a little help from turnovers. But, you know, we had even mentioned if when, when teams beat, when you beat teams like this, the teams you're like, quote, unquote, supposed to beat, it almost always does involve some turnovers along the way as well. Like, yeah. generally, you don't just go up and down the field and there's no turnovers on on either side. You know, like it it generally involves some turnovers. and. You know, we can get into the defense here in a second, kind of, I guess, giving some takes on on that and, and lots of different ways you could go with that, I feel like, trying to provide some structure on what happened there. But, you know, I thought offensively, as you said, it was not a complicated plan. Um, I do think they did a couple little variations of, uh, you know, the counter plays from what I saw. It's like mm -hmm. some of them were traditional counters, and then others, it was almost like, it was blocked one way in the handoff 
was the other direction, and the back just sort of was going to bend it back to the direction of the blocking. So there were some variations of the screen game that they ran. And then a lot of just quick throws to the perimeter. Chris, I was listening before we came on. I was finishing up listening to the teleconference from yesterday. Beamer said that might be the best they have blocked on the edge since he's been at South Carolina. That was my thought as well, rewatching the game. Yeah, I mean, the one that obviously stands out is, you know, the Christian Beale Smith block. He took out a couple. I think he and Stogner double team a guy, which wasn't very fair. Uh, and then CBS took out another guy on on one of the plays. But, uh, you know, I, I thought they did that too. And look, th this Charlotte weakness defensively, they, they were not very good at all, really at any spot. But I thought their secondary was their worst spot. And so that had me kind of going in the game going, okay, do we see a bunch of deep shots? South Carolina really didn't opt. I mean, the longest pass play was the Doty pass to Rucker, right? Other than that, I think we saw a few, what, 20-something yard, 30. The ball didn't travel very far in the air a lot when Spencer Rattler was in the game, and there was probably some opportunities to do so, but it just wasn't necessary. Don't don't go out and take those unnecessary risks. But you're right, the perimeter blocking was, you know, really good, I thought. And that's why, you know, we talked a lot going into this Charlotte game. Go out, especially against this team, and just execute the basics. You know, we've talked a lot about, play calling and scheme and things like that. Really, a lot of South Carolina's, you know, failures this season when you've when you've seen them against certain teams, games one through three, uh, they have been largely a lot of just the basic things, you know, perimeter blocking against Georgia State we talked about a lot, or, you know, uh, not picking up guys at tight end and running back and turning the football over and not being able to stay in a rhythm running the football. Well, they did all those basics, which they should have done, but still you have to credit when they do it. They did all the basics, perimeter blocking, blocking up front, hitting the right holes, breaking tackles. Marshawn Lloyd had an amazing game doing that. And I think that that led to a lot of the offensive success, and that's why they were able to keep it simple. And so did we learn a lot to carry forward? Does this mean they can go run for 200 yards against Kentucky? No. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. But maybe it did provide some kind of glimpse of what this team should be or could be, and that is, I know you've hit on this a lot, Wes, Spencer Rattler needs some help in the running game. Um, it can make him a more effective quarterback. And so whether or not they can take this and build on it when the competition gets tougher in the next couple of weeks, you know, that, that remains to be seen. But I, I think it did provide some type of formula. Yep. Uh, Lady Bree saying, uh, we're, I did not learn from Kendall. No shades for me. You would never see me wear Kendall's shades. Those are those are rough. I'll tell her that to her face. But um, anyway, so, Chris, I think the offense went into this game. We talk about identity a lot and lack of identity and all these things. I don't think this game means they found their identity for the season, but they did have an identity for this matchup. Like, oh, yeah. it was it was go run the football and then go run the football some more. We saw some play action. I do think there were maybe a few deep balls called that just Rattler didn't like the look, came underneath, dropped it off. Um, a couple of those went for positive yardage as well. Uh, I think there was an underneath throw to Stog. There was an underneath throw to Juju that was dialed up a little bit of a deeper throw. And, um, you know, he just 
probably made the right decision and said, I'm, I'm not going to throw this ball. He he also threw one of the few downfield balls we saw. It was actually arguably the best throw of Spencer Rattler's South Carolina career, and it was on the uh, final drive of the first half. He threw like a hole shot um, between the corner and the safety that was, I think, from one hash to the other side of the field. Marion Brown caught it. Yep, I remember that one. Absolute seed. I mean, there are, it was kind of that reminder like, okay, they haven't asked Rattler to do much in this game. And that was a reminder of like, he still does have an NFL arm. Like, I, I, I think the blueprint is can you establish the run like they did, but also mix in more you know, play action pass, more downfield passing, more um more intermediate passing as well. Like you you could be a, a you could be a run first team. Like that could be potentially their MO. I don't think you can do it to the extent you did against Charlotte against most teams. But I think we saw all right, being hard headed in the run is an option for them. Just against SEC opponents, you probably have to balance it out a little bit more. Well, and that's the that really is the key. We know that the way that this team played in games one through three, and even West take out how they played, like turning over the football too much, the play calls, just the the overall kind of identity and how the game plans from week to week look different. We we all know. Look. We all know that the, the game plans are going to have to vary from week to week. But when we go back to this identity thing of what can you be, what's it going to look like, what's the structure of the offense, what do you do well, what do you hang your hat on, we didn't see that in, in weeks one through three. And some of that did have to do with just how they were playing and trying to find that. Um, I didn't anticipate this being a run first team or a team that leaned heavily on the run for a lot of reasons going into this year. But it, it could be that that – turns out what it is what it ends up being and this was their best offensive performance by a mile and yes a lot of that did have to do with competition level but that's what I meant when I said earlier maybe they found a little bit of their formula and and their identity and some things that frankly this team can do well and if they're not going to do it as well against Kentucky or really any of the other opponents the entire season save for maybe SC State uh, they'll probably be able to do it against them. But if they can carry over kind of this structure, this identity, uh, some of the scheme, you know, that they ran and, and ran well, if they can do that, maybe maybe they found something offensively for the rest of this year. Yeah, so I do – before we get too deep into the game, one thing we I don't feel like I do a very good job of is just giving an update in these. We just get to talking about stuff. Get, I need to give a better update each show about where things are. So – First of all, news today, every Monday you get the announcement for the game that is two weeks away. So if you haven't seen it, 7.30 kickoff, South Carolina, Kentucky, that game at Kentucky, obviously. Injury update. I feel like, Chris, they've started to get healthy. Obviously, Jordan Strong, Mo Kaba, those guys are out for the year. But we saw Cam Smith return. We saw some guys return in, like, lesser roles as they kind of ease back in. 
Boogie Huntley played some snaps. Jalen Nichols played some snaps. R.J. Roderick was out there. They are, as far as the guys that have been banged up, starting to get healthy a little bit. Darius Rush, still questionable. Um, and, uh, you know, they have they have some guys that have, some other guys that didn't play that are banged up. Dylan Wanham, still questionable for this week. Stone Blanton, it sounds like uh, if everything goes well this week, he'll be able to return to action against SC State. So getting relatively healthy, Corey Rucker makes his debut, has a catch late, touchdown. Extremely happy for him, man. So, yeah, you, you've got some injuries that are going to be there throughout the year, obviously. But I think getting back some of these banged-up guys could be good timing to kind of ease them back on in against SC State. They eased some of them back in this past week and then maybe have as healthy of a team as you possibly can, big picture-wise, heading into that stretch of SEC games that are in some ways going to potentially define the season, I think. Yeah, and huge to get the secondary mostly healthy, right? And they'll get Darius Rush back at some point, whether that's this weekend. And I'll be, you know, no disrespect to SC State, West, but if you – if if Darius Rush is still questionable on Saturday morning, you probably hold him out of that one too, right? Um, they will get him back, and it, the picture is much better. I mean, the Georgia game, they were down, what, five DBs? And it showed, especially with the competition level. Uh, so they're, they're a lot healthier there. The, the big concern is obviously with the news that Terrell Dawkins is going to be out around a month. It wasn't like he was playing a lot, Wes, but this was already a thin group, and that was with Dawkins in the fold taking some backup snaps, and even with Jordan Strong starting, now you're down a starter, and now you're down a backup. So we saw Brian Thomas Jr., the freshman out of Florida and son of former NFL standout Brian Thomas Sr. He made his debut. Um, saw actually a few Gamecocks get their first ever game action from that uh, from that 2022 class. So Brian Thomas got some run. Uh, Hot Rod Fitton played a little in the game. Those guys, um, for the next month or so, they're going to need to play more, and they they can ill afford any more injuries at the edge spot, that's for sure. Yeah, it's one of those spots we probably would have identified and probably did, actually, before the season is saying they don't really need to have many injuries here, and lo and behold, that's a spot they have had a lot of injuries. Uh, you know, Beamer talking about Brian Thomas Jr. yesterday, Undersized kid is what it is. It's not ideal to ask him, and this is no offense to him, it's just not ideal to ask a true freshman who hasn't had some time in the system, some time in the weight room at South Carolina to just go out there and play. But that's where they are right now. And I, I do think, again, you got to remember the competition. He went out there and did some good things on Saturday when he was in the game, I thought. And then they got some guys in late, too, Um I think I saw Kaysen Henry out there. You did. Um, John Darius Morgan, I think, was in there. Yep. Um, DeAndre Martin played. Defense. DeAndre Martin, 99, played late at, uh, at defensive tackle. So, always good to get. You know, I feel like that's the thing about a blowout. And I believe I got this from Spurrier. I think Spurrier used to say this. Your guys that are not your starters or your rotational players, they work hopefully just as hard, close to as hard, every single day in practice as your starters. And then they go out there on Saturday and they don't get to play. So games like this are very good for morale because 
everybody gets to be involved. You get to spread the ball around. You get your backups in. In some cases, you get your third-team guys in. It's just an opportunity to get guys out there that don't normally get to play, which I think is a good thing. And uh, obviously, they're going to hope they can do the same against SC State this coming week. Uh, dominant performance on the scoreboard. It's dominant in the box score as well. Obviously, this was a tight game at halftime. I never, I mean, I guess it's easy to say now, I didn't really feel like the game was in danger for South Carolina, even at the half. Uh, you know, I was like, they're going to win this game. They'll probably pull away. Um, but, man, how how about Marshawn Lloyd? Like, I, I feel like his game was almost to the point that, like, it should be the headline, and it, it was the headline. But for our show, for this podcast, it's almost like, what do you what do you even add? Like, it was, it was just obvious how good he was on Saturday. He did everything. You know, like, he ran with power. He ran with vision. Ran with explosiveness. He ran with ups. Like, that's, that's the type of thing where I don't know if you – it was beautiful, but if you're his coach, you're like, all right, man, never do that again. Like, I know you have a history of jumping people, but let's not do that again because that, uh, that could have been bad. But it, in the moment, it was incredibly – I literally, for those that don't know, I don't do the press box thing anymore, not when I can help it. I watch the game in the stands, like being outside, like being in the atmosphere. I – I stood up, like, the the second it happened, and I literally, my mouth just flew open. I was like, like it was a literal jaw-dropping play. But that was just one of his many great plays on Saturday night. It was. 169 yards. Uh, broke it out earlier, Wes, the stat of the day on the uh, takeover hour presented by Firehouse Subs and 107.5. Had y'all guess? You were close. Very close. Four missed tackles. I think you said 12. Good guess. He had 13 per PFF and 104 yards after contact. Marshawn Lloyd was like, I don't know if you did this, Wes. I, I used to, uh, I would create the players on NCAA and, and like make all their things a 99 and then like play on easy mode. Like that's kind of what it looked like. Like Marshawn Lloyd had all his sliders set to like almost as high as they'll go and put it on easy mode. I mean, the hurdle was the one that people are going to look at, but he was bouncing off people, stiff-arming people. I remember one time, it was just this little run on the edge, and he he just bowled over two guys, two at the same time. Uh, the little sidestep for the touchdown. Um, yeah, Daniel said he forgot to hit him with the spin move. He's probably mad about that. But he, he really did it all, and I don't care – if it was me and you out there trying to tackle him, that was an impressive. That it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that would have been bad. That was an impressive performance. Uh, you love it for Marshawn. He's worked incredibly hard. Great kid. Um, obviously running with a lot of confidence now, and I think that's going to give him even more going forward. Yeah, man, and I, I thought I, – I thought the vision – was improved. Like, it just felt like he was finding the holes a little bit more efficiently than he has at other times this year. And I wondered, is it just like a matter of, all right, you're getting the football. And he was able to kind of settle into a rhythm. And I, I thought he was able to break out some of the plays that 
Like, he's been very close to breaking plays this year. But it was like he'd get tripped up at the last second. There was one run on the first drive, too, that that almost busted off. And he got tripped up. And, you know, I, I felt like those little, like, final trip-ups kind of went away. You're right, man. He's stiff-armed. Some guys stiff-arm opponents, and it's just like a get-off-me. Marshawn, like, stiff-armed the guy, in like, into the ground. Um, it looked like something from the old uh, NFL street games back in the day where it's just completely cartoon over the top. Just, I mean, sm- just smashed him straight into the ground. It was fun to see, man. You could tell he was having the time of his life. He said after the game, you know, this is what he came to South Carolina for. Great atmosphere at the game. Uh, got his first 100-yard day and just really went off. And uh, that, that was really cool to see. The other backs ran well, ran hard, too. Christian Bill Smith, I think, is a nice addition to this offense now that he's back healthy. You have you have some things to work with on offense. Now let's see if they can keep moving it forward and uh, put themselves in a position um, to keep building. And that, that's something we'll talk about throughout the week, I'm sure, in the other shows as we move this far to SC State. But before we flip the page to defense, Chris, any closing thoughts on the offensive side before we sort of transition over? One thing on Beal Smith since you brought him up, I think having him is very important for this, you know, we're not even on the back half yet. But as the back half approaches of the season, um, he's a talented blocker, showed a little bit of that in space. But when he's in pass protection even, in the pocket, helping out Spencer Rattler at the quarterback position, that's something that the South Carolina staff identified in the preseason as something that, based on what he did at Wake, it's a big priority there. And even what he did in the preseason at South Carolina, they felt like he's really good in that department. So that's a big part of it. A, a team that's at times struggled, you know, in terms of allowing pressures for various reasons, that can help you. And also he can be a guy who's a little bit more of a north-south type runner but can come in and be a short yardage option for you. I think having him is – it's going to really give this team uh, a boost in in some areas down the stretch. There was a comment earlier, Chris, about first quarters. Lack of scores in first quarters. Yep. It is a trend. So I'm not going to gloss over that. I don't think this game fits the trend. I will give benefit of the doubt this game. They march right down. Kicked the field goal the first drive. That was the only drive that they completed in the first quarter. Their second drive, because Charlotte's first drive was so long, their second drive bled over into the second quarter and ended in a touchdown. So this is, to me, one of those occasions where the stat really does not tell the story at all. Like, I don't really even feel like that's, me defending it, like, I, I feel like that is literally what happened. Like, yeah, you can say they didn't score a touchdown again in the first quarter. That's been a trend that is a scary one. This one, I really don't think it's fair because they came out and they scored every single, literally every single time they had the ball with the first-team offense. Yeah, it's a different feel. So let me let me turn that around a little bit then. Another trend that did still apply here was the defense's slow yeah. start this game. Charlotte, yeah. obviously they tightened up, but right up and down the field, it had a little bit of help, had a PI in the end zone, 
interception that South Carolina, I think, dropped, probably could have had on a pass breakup. But the defense, once again, uh, with a slow start. Now, they did recover, but there's a trend that they would be well-suited to reverse as soon as possible. Yeah, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to win SEC games if you're behind off the bat. Like it just is yeah. like that. That's, that's kind of a fact. Um, you know, what is also very, very hard to do, Chris. What's that? Your taxes without our friends at Liberty tax be lost. Exactly. Give them a call. 803-462-5576. Um, if you have interest in learning tax prep of your own, uh, personal interest or a career track, you can also give them a call about tax school. This is a thorough, in-depth course to teach you the basics of personal income, tax, return, preparation. So, again, that could be either side. You just want to know how to do your own taxes, or if you're thinking about getting into that as a career, give them a shout, 803-462-5576. As we tell you every single show, they've got three locations in Irmo, Columbia, Lexington, 1123 South Lake Drive in Lexington. That's by the Dunkin' Donuts. 7467 St. Andrews Road in Irmo by the Kroger, and then 551 St. Andrews Road in Columbia. That's 29210 zip code. That's by KJ's Grocery and Harbor Freight. Again, 803-462-5576. Yes, Chris, to your point, credit to the defense for the adjustments. Credit to the defense for having a great second half. I don't know if you can say much of anything bad about the second half. Um, maybe special teams penalty here or there that um, you know you could talk about, but that's not the defense. For the most part, a great second half all the way around. However, may, maybe the most negative thing about the whole game is the way Charlotte did the defense in the first two drives. And, yeah, you had some, you know, you had PIs in there. Like it, some of it was 100% because of defensive pass interferences. You know, one of them maybe was ticky tack. The other ones, I, I didn't really disagree with them. So to me, that's something where, like, that's part of it. You couldn't cover the guy in this situation, or you didn't cover the guy without interfering him. And I, I thought Charlotte's receivers for a minute there, I was like, man, these guys are going to be a problem. Like we knew, we knew they had good receivers, right? But they were matching up well against South Carolina's corners for for a couple of drives there. Yeah, I I think it was a combination of a few things on those first two drives. So number one, South Carolina was uh, even surprisingly so very aggressive in sending pressure um, after the Charlotte quarterback, who I was. I mean, I was impressed watching him come into the game. I was impressed with him in the game, too. Uh, they sent a lot of pressure, didn't quite get home on a couple of them. Now, credit him. He made a great throw. I mean, second touchdown pass, he kind of lollipopped it up in a spot where only his receiver could get it on a little kind of kind of a corner type of concept and, and got hit, had somebody right in his face. Um, but I think what happened on those first two drives, didn't quite get home. Let him spin out a couple times. He extended some plays. Uh, they credit Charlotte. I mean, all you can do is tip your hat. They had a few screen calls in the game. There are a few third down screens 
that they just had dialed up where they just basically they just got South Carolina on them. I mean, that's really all you can say. Um, and then, you know, some some creative passing concepts, and they got some good receivers. And I think that's why I picked Charlotte to score 20 points. I thought there were going to be some grumbling moments in the stadium. We're going, oh, why are these guys getting open and, and going up and down the field? Um, they were able to correct those things. They started getting home more uh, late after those first two drives. They were able to even some of their blitz packages and their pressures they were finally able to force Reynolds into some rush throws and some mistakes, which is why we saw the three turnovers. Um, they were able to control the running game for the most part for Charlotte. So I think the issues that they were having early in the game, they corrected. Now, fortunately, they did correct them. Fortunately, South Carolina's offense was so good in this game that it didn't come back and bite them. But no doubt they're going to have to correct these issues in terms of because it is a trend, the the slow start defensively allowing all these early points something they got to get cleaned up. Yeah, and man, let's let's throw a shout out to Chris Reynolds. I mean, he's not listening to the show, I'm sure, but still, we're going to shout him out anyway. Dude's a baller. We were talking about this with Preston Thorne off air. My man had ice in his veins. Like there was a couple of shots that uh on the TV copy where they were zoomed in, and it was like Williams Bryce packed house behind him. Great atmosphere, going nuts. Dude's chilling. Doesn't even look like he's breaking out of sweat. Like, I, there's a special level of respect, Chris, that I have for somebody like that. Like, it's one thing if you were just born different. Like, you just were born, you're the baddest dude there, like the best athlete, strongest, fastest. It's another thing completely just to have the mental fortitude to be out there 5'11", which means he's probably 5'10", at best, going up against the SEC team, and you're just throwing darts. Like, it eventually ran out on him, and you can only run away from Gilbert Edmonds so many times. <laughs> Dude is fast. But yeah. this kid, like, I, there's just a, there's a special level of respect I have for – and some of the angles – you were talking about it earlier, man. That screen pass where he just literally throws it like a shortstop or it's like a three-quarter almost sidearm flip out there to get the ball out quick. They're, they're going to continue to go up and down the field on their defenses, on Conference USA defenses, I think. Yeah, th- there's some guys that you watch where you just really kind of tip your hat and like watching them play over the years, and he's one for me. A lot of respect for him. If he was bigger, Wes – he probably could have been a, a transfer and go up a level candidate or heck probably even at his size should have been. Um, but yeah, he can throw from arm angles. He's savvy. Um, he's smart. He's got a lot of experience and, and accurate guys. So really, really enjoyed watching him play. Wes, you mentioned Gilbert Edmond. Wanted to make sure I shouted out a few players. So DQ Smith had an interception in the game and probably he had a chance at three different ones in the game. But playing nickel, uh, he had a good game. Gilbert Edmond, Jordan Birch. I thought Debo Williams was extremely active um, at linebacker. I thought he had one of his best games. He was he was all over the place. Um, Bam Martin Scott got some playing time at linebacker, and um, still still some things to work on there for sure. But in terms of his play in space, I think he showed some things. He actually had one of the pressures on Reynolds that led to him rushing a throw, throwing it a little bit behind and, and high to a receiver. And I think that was that the DQ Smith pick actually. So 
Um, few of South Carolina's guys, um, you know, having having some good performances there. Yeah, man. Um, I think DQ's starting to settle in at that nickel spot. Looking back, I mean, it, it was a lot to ask. Hey, go play a brand new position. We talked about this against the number one team in the country. Now he's gotten a couple couple of uh, games under his belt playing nickel. You get RJ back at safety. Your depth, you know, especially once they get Darius back, the depth actually will have been will be stronger because of what they had to go through with those injuries as well. So, you know, I, I think with with DQ, I even wonder, man, maybe. May, he may solidify that spot as far as you may not necessarily feel like you have to slide Marcellus or Cam in there. It's going to be matchup specific, I'm sure. But you, you have some options there now is what I'm trying to say. And did you notice when they inserted R.J. Roderick, they had, they had it as R.J. and Devani at times, which is actually what they started the season with. And they had it with RJ and even Worry. So there's some there's some ability to kind of move a guy between the two safety spots. And, you know, you don't have to have a fourth guy at safety necessarily if you're just rotating those three guys among two spots, I think. Yeah, got some positional versatility. So obviously now DQ can play nickel or safety. And obviously Cam, uh, you know, can play nickel or safety. So... Cam's presence is is really big for this team. Getting him back, having him healthy, having having more of a full slate in the secondary for a group that you know you feel pretty good about the starting group there. Um, even without Darius, you know you felt good about that. When they get him back, you'll feel even better. They still don't need any injuries there, but when they have, you know, the ability to have basically, you know, three guys for safety, you probably feel good about four guys at corner and nickel. You feel good about. That's a pretty good picture as long as they can stay healthy there. Yeah, they they pretty quickly inserted Cam in the game. They actually didn't start him, I don't think. I didn't see him out there at the beginning. Guessing that's because of missed practice time. But, it man, it it may – I'm not saying Charlotte would have won the game. But it would it might have been a different story watching their receivers against Carolina's corners. It, it was like they quickly were like, all right, let's get Cam in there. And – I thought having him out there is a is a difference maker. Um, and I do another shout-out, the Elijah Spencer kid, man, from Dutch Fork. Really like him. Uh, he, he's a really good player in that conference, and I think he's going to have a great career at Charlotte. Um, what do we think we know about this defense moving forward, Chris? Um, I think, uh, you know, look, they, they've got to – I don't know the answer. I, I wish I did. <laughs> um because I would post it on GamecockCentral.com and, and talk about the show, talk about it on the show. They've got to figure out a way to not start so slowly. You know, um, don't make your offense play from behind. Obviously, when when the competition level ratchets up, you're not going to be able to, you know, count on your offense to score every drive. You're not going to be able to count on making adjustments and overwhelming the opponent. I mean, think about Tennessee. We saw it last year how they got off to such a huge start in the first quarter, just going up and down the field and scoring touchdowns with what we've seen this year. It's not inconceivable that that could happen, you know, and not just Tennessee, other teams. So they got to solve that. Uh, I still think they're razor thin at edge. I think they've got some guys that are emerging DQ Smith coming on Nick Eman coming on 
uh, certainly at safety is helping them. They've lost some depth, not having Mo Cobb, of course, at linebacker. But I think Debo's played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Sherrod and Brad Johnson have played a lot of football. So I think it's a defense that can help them hold serve and can be solid. Is it going to be a dominant group in SEC play? I don't think so. Uh, but I think they can play well enough in games to where if the offense can play complementary ball, help them out, score some points, it is a defense that can still help them win some games this season. Well, and I think, Chris, um, the guys you just mentioned, how much better can they get throughout the course of this season if they are able to get some playing time, stay healthy? Like Debo Williams, I think that's a guy with some uh, with some upside. And, uh, you know, I, I look at Nick Eamon-Worry, obviously huge upside, like lots of young guys there that are only going to get better. So if they can all kind of gel together, we'll see. Um, that's all we got time for today. Um, we got plenty more to get to, so we'll get to it throughout the week. Of course, Tuesday night, we'll have uh, Mike Uvis talking Tuesday night. Chris and I will do a show again on Wednesday or Thursday, probably not both. Not just not enough to talk about. We're going to jam that into one show, and then we, of course, we'll have our Friday show as we always do. Um, let's see, are we at Market? On- no, we'll be at back at the Cockaboose uh, Market Party Express on Friday as well. So, Chris, uh, good stuff, man. For Chris, I'm Wes. Uh, Again, we appreciate Liberty Tax. Appreciate Clint Hammond. Appreciate everybody joining us there in the chat. And you podcast listeners out there as well. So, uh, appreciate y'all. We'll see you soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.